0: This is the small business podcast that is sweeter than all the rest. Marketing, media, and cupcakes. Welcome. I'm John Ondo, along with my beautiful wife, Angel. Hi there. Uh, She has a cupcake business she does on the side. Her full-time gig is a customer service representative, and I am a media producer, director, and we have a podcast company that we're launching, and it's a busy time at uh, the, the Marketing, Media, and Cupcakes headquarters here. Uh, <laughs> but today, we have a guest coming back with us, and I'm so excited. Uh, Dr. Gleb Sversky. He is a disaster avoidance expert. He's written a book called Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters. And we're going to throw some things at him today. Thanks for joining us, by the way. Thank you so much for
1: having me back. It's a pleasure. Oh, it's wonderful. And if you haven't listened to the first one, if you're just catching this one, go back and listen to the first one because a lot of good stuff on there.
0: If you don't have access to a time machine, you're going (laughs) to need to hear this episode because we all make mistakes in decisions. And even though we think business leaders are perfect and they do everything right, they often don't. But sometimes there, there's the mistakes, and then there's really big foul-ups. And so those can be avoided, and that's what Dr. Gleb is talking to us about. So let's talk a little bit. Let's kind of throw this at first. His book is called Never Go With Your Gut, which I think runs counterintuitive to most of us who, you know, I think I'm a little bit of an entrepreneur, but most of us are like, go out there and get it and go with your gut and so forth. Uh, why is why is never going with your gut a good idea? Because everybody else says it is. I
2: I'm a cognitive neuroscientist and behavioral economist. That's my background. I've spent over 15 years in academia studying these topics, looking at evidence-based business, just like medicine, you know, mm-hmm. started looking at evidence-based medicine. And now we know that snake oil is not good for us. Mm-hmm. Right Now we know that, you know, the person who tells you to do the comfortable thing and take, you know, the dozen donuts, you know, if imagine if your doctor told you, hey, how about you go eat and eat, eat these dozen donuts and sit and the couch and you know watch netflix all day
1: mm, <laughs> and you'll be cur- cured yes exactly that's Ooh. great advice
2: you know it yeah. mm-hmm. feels very
1: good yes you it know. does go with your gut let's do it exactly exactly <laughs> Get gut, you know that slouch way. out
2: right <laughs> it feels good now you know based on a lot of studies that that's not going to actually help you no. so hopefully you <laughs> won't listen to the doctor unfortunately People listen to going with their gut, uh, the comfortable Mm -hmm. device of these coaches and leaders and gurus who tell you to be primal, be savage, you know, do the natural thing. Go ahead, do do what you want to do. Be authentic. That's very bad. Our authentic selves are not adapted, as I mentioned, for the Mm. modern environment. We need to actually do the counterintuitive hard things that lead us to our goals, like put on our sweats and go to the gym, Mm -hmm. (laughs) or resist from taking that third chocolate chip cookie. The second one is (laughs) A-OK. Exactly. (laughs) So we need to do the hard things. We know we need to do the hard things for our physical health. Now, the cutting-edge research, the evidence-based business research that I'm looking at and working with shows that we need to do the hard counterintuitive things to be mentally fit and make the best decisions in our business. So mental fitness requires doing the same counterintuitive things that physical fitness requires.
1: Wow.
0: Dr. Gleb is our guest today, and he has a book called Never Go With Your Gut. He also is part of a group that that tries to help businesses avoid disasters because you you don't want to have a there are teams of people who come in after you've had the disaster that's not funny but i'd rather avoid it than have to do that ben but, franklin
2: has a great quote that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure and that's the, that's, true. that's that's my own motto mm-hmm. that's 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 where we want to go you know you want to have that ounce
0: of prevention you don't have want to get the pound of cure <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a bit of an aviation geek in my yeah please like, tell me cuz i'm my, my, my I don't know what's happening. Well, what my stepson also is is, is, is has an aviation degree and works for a uh, not with a major carrier, but we've talked about this, and I talked with a couple other guys that you know Boeing was just rock solid. They couldn't mm. do anything wrong. There would be an occasional glitch or something that they would fix, but. Suddenly now they got this, the the MAX jet, the MAX 37, 737 that is still, at, a, at the time this airs, I'm sure, it's still not going to be there. And then there's another, um, they're discontinuing another issue with their, uh, basically it's the primary um, bodies of their planes. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's tragic. I go back to a, a NASA situation where we lost three astronauts in 1968. Mm-hmm because there was all kinds of problems with the Apollo 1 space capsule, but nobody cared to fix them because we had to get to the moon in a year. Um, and, and, the, and what happened was they overlooked enough that three people died on the launch pad. Uh, is that what we're kind of dealing with, it, with Boeing in situations like that, where people are just like, I, I don't care how, you know, how wrong everything is, we're just going to keep pushing? Well, Boeing is a little bit of a victim
2: of its own success. Yeah. It had a very good history, like you're saying. And because it had a very good history, it played into one of the dangerous judgment errors that we all have called cognitive biases Mm -hmm. because of how our brain is wired due to our evolutionary heritage and just the information processing capacity of our brain. The key cognitive bias here is called the normalcy bias. The normalcy bias is the idea that Everything has been going okay in the past, it will keep going okay in the future. <laughs> a lot of people fell prey to this in two thousand seven when they yeah. bought a house and thinking right. that you know everything will keep going up, you know, the house price will keep going up. And of course they didn't. Absolutely. So, that, so that's an example of the normalcy bias where people couldn't imagine that there would be a huge stock market crash. So the people at Boeing, the leadership at Boeing, they couldn't imagine. That the seven thirty seven max would be more dangerous than their previous planes because their history of their planes mm-hmm. has always, always been the case that newer planes were safer, Cheap, than cheaper older to planes. operate, were better to yes, run. Yeah. Yes, and the you know the seven thirty seven max was actually in some ways safer in many ways than than, in, than the previous plane than the regular seven thirty seven. It was more dangerous than others, which we can talk about, but it was safer in many ways. So they made this plane, which was more efficient, safer. Uh, from their perspective and they ignored the engineers inside the company and the plant managers who are saying that hey who are raising alarms saying you know there's some serious issues here there's issues here they were ignoring these people and they said no it can't be possible it's impossible for this plane to not be safe they're just you know We'll, we'll ignore these people. They're they're losers. They're and, not and, they're not they're not giving us the right information. And you call this what what is what do the you the normalcy look? bias? Nor- normalcy Norm- bias, right? Okay. Same thing. And you know who knows what's facing us? What we are experiencing normalcy bias around right now. I think one of the biggest normalcy bias experiences that we have as a society is in the environment and the danger right. to the environment right now. Everything has been okay with the environment in the past. Therefore, n- there will not be problems in the future. Separate
0: topic. We can talk right. about that later. Well, so you, the boat... You can see it in the Titanic. That was a normalcy buy. Well, the, the ship's not going to sink. It it's won't impossible. possibly hit a, hit an iceberg. And it managed to hit the iceberg on the first... And it was a series of issues that they lost. I'm a big history guy, but it's the same thing. Well, this this can't happen.
2: Yes. The unsinkable, the unsinkable ship, right? Right. So with the 737 MAX... The normalcy bias was so bad for the Boeing leadership, so terrible that when the first crash happened, over a hundred people killed, mm-hmm. and a number of people said, "Like, hey, this is a, this is an issue. You know, let's address this." The Boeing reacted very poorly, very slowly. They issued an instruction saying, "Hey, you know, here's more information about the MACS, of, which is what actually right. caused the crash, the software." And they didn't actually do anything about it.
0: And they were then issuing the instructions. And they were blaming the airline. The, your t- pilots weren't trained properly, and right. all that stuff. And yeah. So
2: that was a very big problem because, of course, the it's not the issue that the pilots were not trained properly. Boeing was not recognizing the kind of pilots who would be flying its airplanes. Right. Who didn't get as much training as some other pilots. But that's Boeing. Boeing needed to know that. Yeah. That these are the pilots who are going to be flying the airplane. So they it took another crash. <laughs> Boeing, and even after that crash, if you look at the history of the crash, Boeing was very reluctant to ground the airplane. Yeah, you know, and uh, it took a lot of the world government aviation authorities to eventually get the 737
0: MAX grounded because Boeing, again, the Boeing leadership couldn't imagine that it was at fault. Well there was an outcry even in Congress and they were and they were even like doing the same thing where people were saying it needs to be grounded in Congress and different people were saying it's Boeing. It yes. can't be it can't be Boeing's fault. They exactly. And that's a normalcy bias, yeah. you know, because Boeing had such a
2: history record of safety. yeah. And so that's what often very often leads us astray, the normalcy bias leads a lot of companies in exactly the wrong direction because they keep going in the same direction where they were heading. They don't recognize that the environment changed or the product changed or something changed. So this is a big error that leads. I mean, Boeing has, at last count, lost about $26 billion in market cap. Yeah. That's $26 with a B billion in market capitalization. That's an imaginable amount of money, to me at least. Yeah, I <laughs> and, can't imagine it. You know, <laughs> so that's the kind of losses that Boeing suffered. And it's ludicrous that, to think that, you know, when we look back, that the Boeing leadership didn't make the decision to pull the 737 Max after the first crash, at least. But hey, here we are, and we see that these people who are very smart people, the top—you don't get to the top of Boeing without being very smart—they still fall into the same dangerous judgment errors because these dangerous judgment errors, these cognitive biases, they're not about intelligence. You know, they're not. This is not what they're about. They're not mm-hmm. about intelligence. They're about the way our brain is wired. And sometimes, in some cases, the more intelligent you are, the more vulnerable you are. Hmm. Because some of these cognitive biases, they cause more intelligent people to be more able to argue themselves out of making the right decision. Mm -hmm. And so this is a big problem with cognitive biases, that people who think they're not susceptible to them – because they're intelligent, tend to be even more susceptible than they think they might be. Is wow. that
1: where maybe the the term is that you know we always jokingly say at work you know well it requires common sense, <laughs> and a lot of people are like yeah, but not everybody has common sense. Mm-hmm. I mean because you yes. take people who are extremely bright and yet they're not you know they wouldn't come in out of the rain. They <laughs> would be standing there pondering the rain versus hello you're getting wet come in. Um, so that's yes. I think that's almost what you're saying is that that level they're beyond thinking of it at a different i hate to say normal but i'm just saying the the intellectual piece gets them overwhelmed so Some, and-
2: sometimes that's the case sometimes people overthink it uh, there's a specific cognitive bias called information bias where people t- try to gather too much information before mm-hmm. making a decision ah. now, so <laughs> gathering more and more and more information more information than they need to gotcha. make a decision. And, and sometimes As, that leads to the paralysis thing, too, right. where they that's don't make analysis, a decision. Analysis paralysis. Yeah. So that's the information bias. So a really important part of making a decision is deciding what information is important hmm. before you actually go into the decision. Because otherwise, uh, one problem that you might run into is this analysis paralysis, where you tend to gather too much information. Right. So, But if you decide that, hey, this is the information that's important, then... You'll gather that
0: information, and then you'll make a decision. And, of course, the bigger the decision, the more information you'll want to gather. The first thing you say in the eight steps is to identify for a decision to be made. What does that mean? Obviously, that's kind of simple. It's It's
2: not simple at all. Oh, I'm an idiot again. Oh, it's okay, John. (laughs) (laughs) So Boeing didn't identify the need for a decision to be made for after the first 737 MAX crashed. Looking back, we mm. can all. I mean, a lot of people are saying that, hey, you need to address the situation, but they didn't. So they didn't identify the need for a decision to be made. Mm. And then they, even after the second one, they tried to say, no, 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 the 737 MAX is safe. We don't need to ground it. I mean, that cost them much more money, much more trust, credibility. I mean, 26 billion market cap, that's not counting all the credibility that's lost. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, the Boeing is never going to be. Sp- said with, like, oh, the marker of safety, this is a same mm-hmm. thing. Right. That reputation loss is huge. Yeah, it's you can't put a price huge. on that. huge. And the fact that, you know, after the, the second crash, that they push, pushed against mm-hmm. grounding, that's another sign that, hey, Boeing can't be trusted. So they didn't mm-hmm. identify the need for a decision to be made in a timely manner kind of and, did the we'll just
0: give that a mulligan and move on and it was a, <laughs> and it was a it, so the lack of decision is a decision as we always kind of exactly say too. so
2: identify the need for a decision to be made that's a big big question it's, that you need to think about
0: so number two you say gather relevant information from a variety of perspectives which from a marketing standpoint which i have a little bit of that that's always a you want to have different we always say in television we want to have a different set of eyeballs on different mm-hmm. things tell me a little bit about the uh, getting how do you pick the perspectives because of course what we always do is hey angel doesn't this show look great yeah she tells me <laughs> it looks great and you know i didn't really ask maybe the target so tell me a little bit about how do you pick those perspectives
2: you want to look at perspectives who disagree with you so the relevant perspective- i don't like those people though yeah, i do really I'm want to sorry hear from to them hear John. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's too bad for you, John. <laughs> you, want the, you want to look for people who disagree with you. Because if you're just looking for yes, men or women, right. that's not really going to help you make the uh, right decision. It will help you feel good with a decision. Sure. It will feel help you feel comfortable. But you need to go outside of your comfort zone, do the counterintuitive thing to make the decision that's actually good for your goals. And this is the eight step decision making model for making major decisions. So here you don't want to screw up and you want to maximize success both of those. So you want to gather information from a variety of perspectives, especially people who disagree with you and the relevant information, that's about the important information. You want to decide what information is important so you don't keep gathering information gathering information mm-hmm. gathering information not making the decision.
0: So step 3, I have a feeling most people including myself I would have said well this should be step 1, decide goals, paint a clear vision, desired outcome. And I'm a big vision person, so I've always been told you need that vision first and then everything falls under it. But you've got it as number three here. You
2: do not need that vision first because your vision will be screwed up Uh if you don't gather relevant information from people with different perspectives first. Gotcha. Because what happens, first of all, you might miss the need for a decision to be made, which is why the first step is there. Second, gathering relevant information. You want to always do that before you paint a vision, Mm -hmm. before you decide on your goals, because... You might have different goals mm-hmm. after you gather the information. You might have a different vision. And if you paint a vision first, think about what happens. Now, let's mm-hmm. say uh, you decide that you want to launch a business. And you you look on Google saying, what are all the great mm-hmm. reasons for me to launch a podcast business? Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. What kind of answer will Google get right. for you oh. versus, you know, should I launch a podcast business? Right. Or, you know, pros and cons of launching a podcast business. That so, if you make a decision, essentially you make a decision in advance, yeah. and you paint your goals in advance, you will screw up the information gathering process. So you never want to paint a clear picture, goals before
0: you <laughs> gather the information. So number four is develop clear decision making criteria to evaluate options. Mm-hmm. This is this is where my 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 often detail. Uh, Sleepy nature comes in. I'm like, oh, okay, do we can we skip four? So, <laughs> so what does that mean? Clear the decision making criteria to evaluate options. So let's
2: talk about your world. You mentioned a website. Mm-hmm. What kind of criteria are there for making decisions about a website? You want to, you know, let's say, uh, have it be clean, for example. Sure. You want it to be mobile friendly. You want it to have appropriate content, and all of this stuff, and all of these things, you know, surprisingly they often are somewhat contradictory. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) Yes, they're going to somewhat contradict each other. You know, having all the information available, having it be clean, having it be mobile friendly, all of these things. So you want to decide what are the important criteria. I'm sure you can have a hundred criteria for a website. Mm -hmm. Sure. But what are going to be the five important ones? You know, you can choose five or you can choose 10. Mm -hmm. You should not choose more than 10. Mm -hmm. But, you know, aim, let's say, for five. Then how important is each going to be? Mobile friendly. You know, do you anticipate that ninety-five percent of the people who hit your website are going to come from a smartphone? You, then you probably are going to ha- have that as the most important criteria. For example, sure. Or do you want it to be really comprehensive? You want to make sure that uh, people who come they can learn everything about you from the website. So you want to compare, decide on the criteria and their importance in relation to each other. Prioritizing
0: to, yeah, on the thing. Oh, that's cool. So the next one is number five, generate viable options that can achieve goals.
2: Right. And this is going to be, again, a surprising thing because most people will generate viable options before they make the criteria. Hmm.
1: Mm, Okay.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. And that's bad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a bad thing because then once you generate your options... You will screw up the criteria decision, the process. Mm-hmm. So, if you create the website first, sure. and if you create free versions of a website, let's say, free viable options, mm-hmm. what are you going to do with the criteria? You're, you're already going to be anchored by the free website mm-hmm. versions, and you're going to screw up the criteria process. So, you want to generate the criteria before you choose the options. Now, it's going to be really important for you to generate, again, this is maximizing success. Most people, especially in small businesses, they tend to choose the first viable options that they see. They, you know, look at all the op- they look at options and they try to generate them and they say, okay, this is good enough. Let's go for it. Yeah, yeah. and that's bad. That's yeah. bad if you want to maximize success because, you know, talking about the website, your website is going to be incredibly important. Absolutely, that's your digital property. It's going to represent you. So it's really worthwhile to spend more resources on it than you would intuitively spend on, you know, some kind of flyer that you're going to leave in a library. You know, shell right. somewhere. Sure. Uh, so this is going to be really important. Or let's say uh, the choosing the location of your cup, cu- cupcake bakery. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. going to be a critical decision. Yes. So many things. You might want to spend much more time on it and intuitively feels like mm-hmm. you should because that's going to be really well, important. And it, you want to choose at least 5 viable options for that. So at s- least five. it almost sounds
0: like home buying because I know what you go through and you just like oh, this is good enough I'll just mm-hmm. buy it as I don't I don't want to shop it anymore but your your suggestion really is you really do need to have more options to choose from no matter what.
2: You need to have at least 5 viable options if you're taking this a serious mm-hmm. project a serious decision again you don't want to choose The first one, the first acceptable one, for many reasons, the main thing is that you want to maximize success. So this is a strategy not only for avoiding failure, but also for maximizing success. So generate viable options. Okay.
0: Number six is uh, weigh the options, picking the best of the bunch. That sounds really easy, but I have a feeling you're going to tell me, no, John, it's not.
2: It's not as easy (laughs) as it seems, because what you want to do is, let's say you have five viable options. Then take the criteria that you have. Let's say, you know, uh, on your website, let's say you have... Having content, you rate it um, on a scale of 1 to 10 of importance, you rate it importance 9. Mm-hmm. Then you have a mobile-friendly, you rate it importance 6. Whatever the weighting sure. is. So you weigh them, and then you rank each of the options of the website, or well, whatever you're choosing, on each of the criteria. And then you multiply them out, the criteria by the options and you choose the best of the bunch. So this is going to be a transparent, mathematically informed process that helps you make the best decision.
0: We're up to step seven, which is implement the option that you chose. So Mm -hmm. again, that sounds kind of straightforward.
2: Well, there's more, more complexity than a straightforward thing. There's two aspects to implementation. And what you want to do is, first of all, imagine that this option completely failed. So before you implement it, imagine that it completely failed. Hmm. Then think about all the reasons why it failed for the website. You know, maybe Angel went on it and found that it was t- yeah. t- totally no. <laughs> not satisfactory for no. her needs. Yes. You know, so maybe you want to run it by her before you do that. And that's a way of addressing failure. So address everything, you know, run it by people who are going to be detail-oriented like Angel. Also have contingency. So let's say you are bu- you are deciding on the headquarters for your bakery. Maybe you want to have a contingency where you can get out of the contract in the first three months, mm-hmm. if you discover mm-hmm. discover something that you didn't see, right, uh, you know, early on, gotcha. so that's that can be something that you address in advance. That mm-hmm. you have a contingency. That's going to be one part of it. Mm-hmm. Second, imagine that this com- succeeded beyond your wildest dreams. You know, your your website was featured on national cupcake party of the <laughs> uh, of, of the Whee! month. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so it succeeded beyond your wildest dreams. Why did it succeed? Think about mm-hmm. all the reasons why it was successful. The most awesome website ever for Cupcake Place. Sure. And how can you ensure that it succeeds that way? You know, maybe you can run it by a number of people who are going to use it by your customer base. And you can also make sure that there are contingencies in place Mm -hmm. for if something unexpected comes up. You know, so for example, if uh, another Cupcake Place that's a competitor goes out of business, are you going to be able to have the money to buy their equipment? Sure. Sure. And that's going to be, I mean, they're, they're going to be having a fire sale, right? Mm-hmm. right. And you want to be able to you know, get their equipment, get their staff or something like that, and be able to use that. And if you have all your resources dedicated to your existing equipment and mm-hmm. existing plants, you're not going to have be able to achieve that, seize the opportunity. Mm-hmm. So you want to have contingency plans in place for what happens if there's an unexpected opportunity and for you to seize it. So that's going to be step eight. You want to address failure, maximize success.
0: The uh, the last one, which almost sounds like rinse, wash, and repeat or whatever it is, it's evaluate implementation process and revise as needed. It sounds like this is, you go back to square one with, to some extent because you're going to keep doing this process.
2: Well, what you want to do as part of that process is make sure that you have measurements. Me- well, very often, we don't measure our implementation. Mm-hmm. So you- have some kind of concrete measurements that allow you to evaluate things. Mm-hmm. Very often we don't. So let's say you know with a cu- cu- cupcake place, let's say you want to get a profit of at least twenty five thousand in the first six months. Sure. And if you don't have that, that's going to be a serious revision. Or we, the website you want to see what if there's how long people stay on the website right. page and what they click through. Mm-hmm. And if they don't click on the pages that you think they should click through then you want to seriously revise your website in a certain amount of time. Okay. So those are going to be measurements. You want to make sure Mm -hmm. to have clear, concrete measurements of the outcomes that you want to achieve and then revise things based on the measurements. If you don't have measurements, which very often people don't, especially in small businesses because they want to rush ahead, Mm -hmm. that's going to seriously hurt you going down the road. And did
1: they choose not to have those things written down? Because that means if if you don't have it written down, then you can't fail. Yes,
2: yeah, and that's a big problem too because... Sometimes you want to figure out. Okay, I'm failing. That's great. That gives me information, and I can choose to change things without yet having lost my
1: life savings. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) Wow. This stuff is is phenomenal. And and I, for me, and I'm just. I always try to, as a filmmaker and marketing guy, to get in the heads of my audience but when you even have broken it down with some of this I'm sitting back saying I got some I have some flaws in my in my decision making process that especially like the first one I look at here is is the the vision and the goals which I would normally put number 1 he has it number three. So, uh, never yeah. go with your Gut. Bu- this is all in the in the book, correct? This is all in the book. So, never go with your gut. How pioneering leaders make uh, best decisions and avoid business disasters. Uh, give us the kind of the rundown of not only where we can get the book, but where we can get you to come and speak uh, or, or do a virtual conference or something like that as well.
2: Sure. So, the book is available at bookstores everywhere. Never go with your gut. How pioneering leaders make the best decisions and avoid business disasters. Published by Career Press, good traditional publisher. So physical bookstores, online bookstores, whether Barnes & Noble online or in person, you know, Amazon online, props to indie bookstores you in go. person. Then you can check out my work on DisasterAvoidanceExperts.com. Again, DisasterAvoidanceExperts.com. There's blogs, videos, articles, my consulting, coaching, and training services. I do speaking and training around the world, mostly in the United States, but <laughs> around the world as a whole. I was in Salzburg recently in Austria. That was interesting. (laughs) Then uh, you can get more information about my consulting services and my coaching services. And I do that in person and virtually as well. And of course, you can check out an online video course of eight modules for free at DisasterAvoidanceExperts.com slash subscribe. Again, DisasterAvoidanceExperts.com slash subscribe. And I'm pretty active on LinkedIn.
0: Connect with me there. Dr Gleb
2: Sapursky G L E B T S I P U R S K Y
0: and we'll have all those links on our info information for the podcast I I know there are people at Sears and at Kodak and a lot of other places that are saying, I wish we had Leb mm-hmm. in to talk to us about this. Oh, he, for sure. Because, it's, it, it, you know, we sit back and we just think, how could this happen? But yeah. it happens, and it happens. And it's really w- the fear I have is, what am I missing? Did I miss the boat on this? And and I'm always questioning myself because I don't want to be the, you remember that Media guy who <laughs> thought that, you know, you know, guy, because yeah, and and then there's really funny things like vinyl. Vinyl came back. Nobody saw that, mm-hmm. but you know that was kind of fun. And there's so weird things happen, and it's good to, if you get good decision making process. So, uh, Gleb, thank you so much for joining us yes, today. Yes, Thank you so much. And uh, it's if, been a pleasure. If you want to get in contact with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and uh, we're going to be expanding some things soon. But we are so glad. We love our listeners, and these were a little longer shows. But uh, you know what? I think it, who cares? Content is great. They're worth every minute. Absolutely. So whatever it is going in your life. If you have something we can do to help you out, encourage your small business, let us know because we want you to live the dream. Connect with John and Angel via Facebook and Instagram and let us know your thoughts. Marketing Media and Cupcakes is a production of Ondo Media.